Hi, my name is Gary Meyer. And I am Joe Fondo. We're the hosts of the Answering the Call podcast. This is the podcast where we talk to people who are answering God's call. Today, Marilyn talks with Katherine Rogers. She is the partner of Rachel Schwartz from our last episode. Catherine gives us a glance into the inner workings of the life of a Mormon polygamist. And so, here's Catherine. Catherine, you've been invited twice to the Mormon polygamist compound, and I understand both times were for weddings. Is that right? Yes. Um, I spoke with uh, Rachel last time about that experience, and uh, this was a compound in Nevada, and for the sake of your ministry, um, we are not going to give the names of the group or the names of individuals, but uh, I'd like to hear from you about both those trips, whatever you'd like to say, but uh, particularly that second trip, because you went without (coughs) Rachel. Mm -hmm. Okay. Tell me about that. Um, the first time that we went, it was quite interesting. Um, so we took my car and my back tire brake exploded two miles outside of the compound. So, um, it was quite interesting, but the second time was a bit different because Rachel wasn't there. And I think the dynamic was a little different. Um, but also people were, weren't really interested in having a conversation with me. Um, so it was different than the first time there. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, it was very different. It was more, I would say it was more heavy. Um, I was unwanted. Um, I was disliked by the people. Mm. Um, there were only a few people that really gave me hugs, but other than that, I wasn't really welcomed. Um, they just wanted me there, and then they just wanted me to leave. So. And these two weddings were about two months apart? Yeah, one was at the end of March, and one was just the the beginning of July. So. Now, the groom in the second wedding, mm-hmm. um, how old was he? Nineteen. Nineteen. Mm-hmm. And um, did he know the girl he married? <clears throat> no. They hadn't dated? Nope. They were acquaintances. Um, it was his best friend's cousin. And they, you know, chatted every now and then, just, hey, how are you doing? Um, but other than that, it was, he didn't know her. And, uh, he actually didn't even know that he was getting married when they called him. So, was he? Where was he when he got this phone call? He was in Utah on his mission. On his mission. Mm-hmm. So he's called off his mission. Mm-hmm. And by the way, with something we talked about with Rachel too, uh, when a polygamist goes on mission, he is primarily talking to LDS, to yes. members of the Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, and uh, so he's talking to. Mormons who do not practice polygamy Mm -hmm. in hopes of converting them to polygamy. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, So when you saw this wedding, what was it like? It must have been different than the first wedding in terms of how happy everyone seemed. Yeah. um, I would say that it was was very similar with the ceremonies, um, but the second one was actually inside of the compound. Um, I mean, the first one was outside of the compound, but the second one was inside the compound. So there weren't many outsiders. So it was just me, my friend, Jade, and um, this other girl that um, he knows. So, Do you know how old the bride was? She's 19. She's 19. Mm-hmm. In the first wedding, the groom was 19 and the bride was 16. About to turn 17. Mm-hmm. But in this wedding, they were both 19. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, now, when... Uh, you talked with the groom before he left to go back mm-hmm. home for this wedding. What kind of comments did he make about uh, this marriage? 
Oh, it was heartbreaking. Um, he called me pretty early in the morning to tell me that he was getting married, and um, I asked him questions like, well, when did you find out? Um, who is it? How long? You know, have you known about it? Um, are you excited? Um, and every answer was pretty much no. He wasn't excited. He was scared. He didn't really know her. Um, but the conversation, they called him. He called me on a Tuesday, um, and he found out on Saturday. Um, and they said, you need to come home right away. And he's like, well, why? And he goes, you just need to come home. And he told me that the reason he needed to go home because they wanted to seal him as soon as possible. So he got home, and then the next morning he was sealed and married to this girl that he didn't know. Now, um, I want to come back to who arranged the wedding, but maybe we better explain <coughs> about the sealing for just a moment. Mm -hmm. What does that mean, and what does it involve when, when a man is sealed to a woman? So the sealing is eternal marriage. So they go inside of the temple, which looks quite different than mainstream LDS. Um, so in, in their temple, it, they practice the original teachings and what they did in, you know, when Joseph Smith was practicing eternal marriage. So a sealing means that you are eternally married to your spouse, even after death. And this is very important in mm -hmm. Mormon doctrine. Oh, yes. Uh, both LDS, the main <coughs> line uh, denomination of mm -hmm. Mormons, plus these polygamous groups. Mm -hmm. uh, and why is it so important for the woman to be married in Mormonism? Um, to procreate, um, really, to uh, on earth and in eternity. Because, I mean, if she, if she is not married to him, they can't have kids, you know, and this life and the next. So. so her eternal salvation is dependent on being married to a faithful Mormon man mm -hmm. and being sealed in the temple. Uh, and then, as I understand it, if they are both faithful and follow all the, the laws, they then have the opportunity to reach the highest of three heavens according to Mormon doctrine. Yes. And then they would be a God and all of his wives, and they would have spirit children mm -hmm. uh, for eternity, and it would yep. populate their own world. Did I get yeah. it right? Yes, okay. you did. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, there was an article in the Salt Lake Tribune on April the 9th, 2018, by a woman by the name of Christy Money, and the article identifies her as a psychologist and the founder of Healthy Mormon Journeys Foundation. And she talks about the doctrine of polygamy, and it was very interesting. Here's what she says. She says that this idea, even in mainstream Mormonism, the idea that there is a law of polygamy to be practiced in heaven uh, and as well as being practiced on earth, sets the stage for sexual abuse. Mm -hmm. She says... As a psychologist, I have seen LDS men justify infidelity and sexual assault by framing their desires as a prompting to live the higher law of polygamy. This is unfortunately more common than you think. And then she mm -hmm. goes on and mentions a couple of cases. And in the article, she says, these are her words, and she is Mormon, we must publicly admit as a culture that polygamy was a mistake. I strongly encourage church leaders to prayerfully consider disavowing polygamy 
as sexual predators use this precedent to groom victims. And uh, she mentioned Joseph Smith, his many wives, some as young as 14. Mm -hmm. And even when they disavowed polygamy, she says the church still insists all of that was God's will. Have you run into women or men who talk about sexual abuse in this compound? I have not within the compound, no. But I have met somebody who has left the compound, and she has told me stories um, about sexual abuse um, from father to daughters. Um, She told us a story about a father who um, sexually abused every daughter that he had. Um, and it's, it's so heartbreaking to think that they, you know, I do think that they take advantage of their, um, their role as men within the group. Um, and so this woman that you've talked to was a former member of this same group. Mm -hmm. She was. Now, um, we are not mentioning the name of the group, but she is in a documentary where she talks about her experience. Uh, so I think in that case, we can give her name. Mm -hmm. Uh, What is her name, and do you know the name of the documentary? Her name is Kathy Hansen, um, and I believe the documentary is called uh, Removing the Veil of Polygamy. Um, And it's an excellent, excellent um, documentary. Um, It talks about different um, sects of polygamy, um, including the one that we visited. Mm -hmm. And they have several women in that from different Mm -hmm. sects, as you mentioned. There's also uh, men in it, too, who have left. I do remember that. Mm -hmm. I have seen that. It's a very fascinating documentary. Um, So she then testifies about sexual abuse going on in this particular compound. but from the people, the two times you've been there, you've not actually heard that from them, but they've been a little a little distant from you when you've yeah. gone. Would mm-hmm. you say that's right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's go back to this um, last wedding. It was arranged. Do you know how it came about? Who arranged it or um, who brought these, this bride and groom together? I would say it was the prophet um, because the way that marriage works within their compound is... The woman puts in her name, and the prophet prays about it, and he gets a revelation of who it should who it should be. Um, and then once he gets that revelation, um, the man then prays for it, and if he gets a revelation, they get married. Um, but what my friend told me is um, he agreed to marry her because he was told that she was having doubts within the church and she was questioning whether it was true so he needed to marry her so she wouldn't leave Hmm. so this was a way to also uh, ensure that she remains faithful to the the group Um, so this was probably this particular wedding was just a couple of weeks ago am I right Mm -hmm. okay now were you there just for the one evening yes okay Mm -hmm. Um, the uh, the first wedding was uh, a first marriage for and well in both cases it was a first marriage so it was held in town but this one was held in the compound yes so the the bride was also a member of this same compound Mm -hmm. they probably have grown up together Uh, yeah my friend he and his mother joined about I would say six years ago maybe a little bit more so she grew up in it but he was mainstream 
before they joined. I see. Mm-hmm. I see. So they converted, mm-hmm. and um, it was just this mother and this one child, and he grew up there then. Yes, okay. and his sister, so the three of them. Oh, the three of them. All right. Um, I, I want to talk with you then more about the men and how they feel, but before I do, um, were, was there any anybody else in this compound um that maybe had a story or had questions or just by their response to you that um, your heart went out to either a a girl or a Mm -hmm. woman there uh, where you began to see that they, um, well, are they happy? Are the women happy or are they unhappy? I would most definitely say that they are unhappy. Um, A lot of them look like robots. Um, A lot of them... The ones that are married don't really interact with us as outsiders. Um, and if you try, they, um, you know, they, they'll say a few words here and there. Um, but other than that, they don't really have, I don't know if they're not interested or if they're just not interacting with us out of fear. Mm-hmm. Um, but the younger girls, they're, they are so eager to talk to us. Um, they want to know everything about us. They want to sit next to us. They want to dance with us. Um, so it's really quite interesting to see the difference between the women that are married and the women who are not married. Um, so, but I would say no, they're not happy. It's actually quite heartbreaking, really, to see um, these women who you you want them to know Jesus so bad and to know that you want them to know that they are loved unconditionally but they're stuck and most of them grew up in it so hmm. do you think they feel loved by their husband no uh uh-uh. um and the reason i say that is because the first wedding we went to um i was watching so the father of the groom was the husband of the groom's sister and I was watching him um, and observing, you know, different things. And I don't think I saw him interact with his wives, at least at all, when he was there. Um, so they were just cleaning up all by themselves. They were doing things by themselves. And um, so that was just my observation. But I don't think that they mm. feel loved at all by their husbands. Mm. And um, I know you all have mentioned the tension between the sister wives. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do want to go to how the men feel. I think that's just fascinating. I've always I've, I've heard of tensions between sister wives, but how the men feel is kind of an, a different category, and that's mm. a very interesting part of this. Uh, so let's talk about that. Uh, first off, uh, going back to the compound, and how they provide for their families. Rachel did say that uh, each sister wife with her children lives in a trailer. Mm -hmm. And so uh, how does the husband play into that? Does he just take turns at at different trailers? Where does he usually live? Um, Well, I'm not really sure where he lives, um, but I do know that he takes turns. And the first wife makes a decision on what the schedule looks like. Um, so the man will either stay with his wife for, like, you know, Monday and Tuesday and then stay with the second wife for Wednesday and Thursday. Um, but I think from my understanding that if the wife has a first, like, a, a newborn baby, the husband 
is usually there to help. Um, but I don't really think that he has like a like a solid home for himself okay. Okay. that I know of. Hmm. Um, how do they provide for these families? How do they make enough money to care for <laughs> multiple wives and many children? Yeah. You, you know, that's something that I've never talked to the boys about is, is money. Um, they actually never really talk about money. Um, but I do know that one of my friend's dads, he works in Las Vegas um, in Nevada. And, um, so he's a huge businessman. And I think that a few other men are also businessmen. Some of them are farmers. Um, they just have different careers, but I don't think the women work at all. Hmm. I think it's mostly the men. Now, these men that are working in these careers, I mean, polygamy is not a legal thing. Hmm. Are they just lying about their status in public? Yes. Um, that's actually, I have a story about that. There was um, a guy that I met at the first wedding, and I was like, where are you from? And he's like, oh, I live in a city outside of this small town, and I live on a farm. And I was like, are you a part of the group? And he says, <laughs> yeah, I am. I was like, I know all about it. You don't have to keep it from me. <laughs> so they have this, you know, a typical answer that I'm pretty sure everybody gives, hmm. um, but it's not that they're polygamists, you know. Now, when they have, when they marry the second wife or mm -hmm. the third wife, uh, does she take his name in the marriage ceremony? No. So um, that's part of the deceit as well. Yeah. She keeps her maiden name. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting because if you are the second or third or fourth wife and you have kids, even the kids can't call their dad dad. They have to call their dad by the first name. Ah. Um, so that's a rule within the group so my friend's mom is is his dad's second wife so he calls his dad by his first name versus calling him dad which I think is very impersonal yes yeah, so they <coughs> must not have a very or I guess it's possible not to have a very good relationship mm -hmm. with your children yeah. as a father do you yeah. know if uh, the young men that you know have they had any type of real relationship with their fathers I, I wouldn't say so um, specifically my, one of my friends, his dad is the prophet, well, was the prophet, <clears throat> and something that he told me, he's like, you know, I love my dad, and I know that he has an important job because he's the prophet, but something that I wish is that my relationship with him was stronger, and his dad recently just passed away, so mm -hmm. that was really hard for him. And was there a, a big age gap between this young man and his father? Yes, the, the, his father was quite old, maybe in his 70s, and my friend is like 29, I think. Hmm. So, um, so these, these young men, typically they will say that when a young man or a young woman does not have a, a good relationship with their father, this can lead to other problems. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, it could be endless. Um, did you did you pick up on that from these young men that you've gotten to know so well, um, or do they just seem like nice, uh, considerate young men? They're very nice, um, considerate young men. But is it a facade? Is it? Is I would it, say so. Okay. Yes. Um, so 
it's just it's something that they don't really talk about um, because it's looked at as a norm um, in their group. Um, you know, growing up and seeing their dad not have any sort of relationship with all of their brothers and sisters. Um, but it's really sad because I know that my friend is hurting, but he tries to justify it with the fact that he's that his dad's a prophet, um, which is heartbreaking. Um, that is. But I don't think that they really show any sort of, like, um, side effects. Well, they might, but we don't see them. We visibly. don't see yeah. them. That would make sense. Um, now, you said they treated you a little differently when mm-hmm. you went back this time. Uh, did you mean the men and the women both treated you differently? Or was it primarily the women that seemed a little cold? Um, I would say both. Um, the people that we met the first time we went were primarily the ones that treated me differently um, because they knew they knew who I was. Yeah, your first trip ended up being unexpectedly longer yes. because you had some car trouble mm-hmm. and you spent uh, three nights there. But this second trip when you went on your own was just one night. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Yes. And um, now the, for the first wedding, you were invited by the groom. Were you invited by the groom this time to mm-hmm. come to the wedding? Yes. That's very interesting. Um, when you come and talk to these young men that are part of this group, do you ever feel afraid to be around these young men? Yes, I would say so. Um, not not the boys that we met um, in Utah, but some of the guys... Um, I think I was more fearful than Rachel, um, but for personal reasons, but um, it, it's interesting the way that they interact with women because, you know, our view of marriage as Christians, you know, you have the husband and the wife and that's it. And it's the symbol of Jesus and, the, and his bride. But in polygamy, it's, I mean, it's normal for the man to talk to other women and it's just unnatural. It's um, so it's kind of scary. Um but we knew that nothing was going to happen to us because, you know, the boys, you know, they wouldn't let anything happen. So mm. It was just strange being around the men from this yeah. compound then. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine then that would make it a little uncomfortable to be around, around the women. Yes. They might see you as competition yeah. or um, possibly the next new sister wife, yeah, something jealousy. like that. Jealousy. Jealousy. Um, yeah, absolutely. Even though they know that it's a normal thing, you know, it's a natural human thing to feel jealousy, you know, um, or bitterness towards another woman. Mm-hmm. Um, so They must feel very insecure. Mm-hmm. That's how I think I would feel if I could put myself in their place. Um, do you think that these young men feel any kind of guilt. Uh, it, it sounds to me that they may be wishing they could escape, or at least from time to time, wishing they could escape this particular lifestyle. But do you think they feel any guilt for how they le- live? The men? Yes. Um, guilt. I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say guilt. Um, they just feel they're isolated. Yes. They, yeah, this is all they've ever known. 
Mm-hmm. This has been their lifestyle, and so they just feel yeah. this is the way it has to be. Absolutely. And I think rather than guilt, they feel maybe successful um, because there is a so, some sort of, like, pride behind it um, because, you know, the more wives they have, the better they look in the eyes of God. Mm. So when the, it comes time for a second wedding, will that mm-hmm. one be arranged as well? Most likely. Mm-hmm. Okay. And... Um, how soon do you think a second wedding might take place for some of these young men that you know? Is this something that they try to encourage them to do quickly? Mm-hmm. I would say so. Um, I'm not really sure how soon it'll happen for the boys. Um, I think the one who his family converted into, because he's not related to anybody in the group, it'll probably happen sooner than later. Um but the first wedding that we went to, he's related to a lot of people within the group. So it's mm. probably will take yes. a little bit of time. Okay. All right. Um, let's talk a little bit about the wedding ceremony ceremony itself on that second time. Mm-hmm. So did she have the bridal gown? I mean, did it look like a wedding we might go to? It, it did, very who, much. Who performed the wedding? Actually, it was a little different than the first one because the first one, we, you actually had a woman outside of the group. Um, she was a justice of the peace? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep, what Rachel said. Mm-hmm. Um, it, but this time, it was actually his first mom who performed the wedding. So it was another woman that performed the wedding? Yes. Uh, that's surprising to me. Yes. Mm-hmm. And not the prophet, not one of the men? No. Mm-mm. I wonder why. Why? why I'm not why? sure. I'm not sure. That's actually a good question. Um, I would I would like to ask that question too, but it was his first mom of of that family in particular. So, hmm. so <clears throat> now in a Christian wedding, we will talk about what this means that it's an image of of Jesus with his church, the bride. That this symbolizes that. Mm-hmm. Do you remember what they said in this wedding ceremony? Uh, as anything stand out from that as to how they explain what marriage is or uh, did they get into the their doctrine of marriage Mm-mm. no it was just I think she might have bought one of the, like a booklet to read what you know just of the piece you know what they read or at a regular wedding um, because it was pretty much everything that we would say you know well, now, is this a legal wedding? Does she have power invested by the state <laughs> to do this? I'm not sure. I don't think so. <laughs> that's that's an interesting yeah. question. I know a justice of the peace would have that type to make of it legalized. Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you will need to find that out for us. And get I def- to totally it. will. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, let's see. Let's talk a little bit more about uh, the Mormon doctrine. I think that um, uh, this must be what keeps people in polygamy, mm-hmm. and it is a very powerful hold on them. So uh, what would it take for a man to leave this particular group, uh, even if he just went from there to the main line Uh, LDS church Mm -hmm. what do you imagine it would take for a man to make that kind of step oh boy um from this particular group I would say that it would be it would take a lot um I mean his foundation would have to be shattered 
um, because what they believe, they believe all of the original teachings of the prophets. So um, there, something must be happening internally for him to leave this group. Um, but to leave it completely, I would say um, Jesus alone, really. Um, it has to be a change of their entire thinking, yeah. their worldview. Absolutely. Uh, their approach to life, mm-hmm. everything. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because they do believe that they are following the teachings of Joseph Smith more closely mm-hmm. than the main LDS group. Yes. And Brigham Young and Lorenzo Snow and all these different men who, all the original teachings. Now, when we talk about uh, Brigham Young, um, one of the doctrines that comes to mind is the Adam-God doctrine. Mm-hmm. Um can you explain that for us? Describe <laughs> what the Adam-God doctrine is. I will do my best. Um, it's quite complicated. Um, <laughs> it was originally taught by Brigham Young. Um, first, they believe that Adam is Michael the Archangel. And Brigham Young thought that that was, that that was so close that he must be Heavenly Father. So Adam is Heavenly Father and Eve is one of his wives that they came to earth um, and he also taught that um, that the fall was a good thing. It was a necessary thing for um, the plan of salvation to take place. Um, meaning that the only reason Jesus came was to make that possible. So Heavenly Father came as Adam, lived, sinned, making God, you know, a sinner. Um, sinned, caused the fall making Jesus our only way, living an example of what we should be doing here on earth. Um, And so, Heavenly Father, we have the opportunity to become like Heavenly Father, a God of our own planet, and then become Adam and Eve's of our own planet and procreate. This is a very long and complicated Mm -hmm. doctrine, and um, a Christian, the first time they hear this, it's really hard to follow. Yes. So let me see if I can repeat it back, and you tell me if I've got it right. Okay. <laughs> so um, when they say, when they talk of, about God, they refer to him as Heavenly Father. Yes. And so Heavenly Father came to earth as Adam. Eve was one of his wives. Yes. And sin, at some point they sinned. And this is why you said so they are saying that God himself came to earth and sinned. Yes. All right. So Heavenly Father then came from some other planet. Kolob, which would, is also taught in the Mormon. Well, near, he dwells near a star named Kolob. This planet that Heavenly Father, who, according to Brigham Young, Young was Adam, um, came from the planet near a star named Kolob. Mm-hmm. So the whole plan of salvation is that uh, Jesus is our example. They mm-hmm. will call him Savior, but it's more of an example. Mm-hmm. Uh, this differs from Christianity in that we say we are sinners by nature and that we cannot um, earn the right mm-hmm. to be called a Christian. We cannot justify ourselves. Yes. And But in Mormonism, it's more of, even though they say Jesus is a Savior, it's more of an example to follow. Mm-hmm. And they follow these doctrines so that each Mormon man in right standing with his wife and wives 
can become gods and goddesses. Mm-hmm. Do I have it right? Yes. It's very, it's very complicated. complicated. Yes. Yes. Um, and there's also something else that's taught within the Adam God doctrine that Heavenly Father came down and actually procreated with Mary. Yes. Um, physically. Um, which Physical relations with Mary. Y- yes, which... Uh, not to be offensive, which is kind of disturbing because he's procreating with his spirit daughter. Mm-hmm. With his own creation, mm-hmm. his own daughter. Which would be incest. Yes. 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 So. so there are lots of implications, and, and Mormon people can be very nice, very mm-hmm. good people, people that we have a lot of common with in terms of how we live our lives. I think many of them may not think out uh all the implications of what they're saying when they talk about this, all right? Uh, So with that then, it's very important for them to, particularly in this polygamous group, to have a family. And when they have multiple wives, they feel like they are following Jesus's example. Yes. Because his wives are, who do they say was married to Jesus? Well, you have Mary Magdalene for is one, um, but we're not sure who else. Um, um, but Mary Magdalene, I know, is for sure yes, one. That's who mm-hmm. they consider his first wife. Yes. Okay. All right. Um, tell me why you love Mormons. You spend a lot of time talking mm-hmm. to them, and they may not always feel like you're doing it out of love, but it's it's clear to me that you love the Mormon people. Tell me why. I sure do. Um, Oh, wow. There's a lot of reasons. Um, God has destroyed my heart for these people. Um, I started talking to the LDS people, mainstream LDS, uh, about two years ago. Um, And I met with my very first missionaries at the university that I was going to. And they were teaching me about Joseph Smith and the restoration of the gospel. And they got to the part of Jesus. And and I was still a new Christian, but what they were saying about Jesus wasn't Jesus. And the more that I, you know, did research and kept meeting with them, I learned that they were working for God's love and God's grace, um, which broke my heart. And, and I've, you know, been trying to share the gospel with the LDS people because I want them to know that they have a God that loves them unconditionally. Um, And they have a God that they don't have to work for, but a God that has freely freely given himself um, to us, to undeserving people. Um, So there are a lot of reasons why I love them and um, why I know that I'll continue to love them. And you've also been to Manti, Utah, mm-hmm. um, on how many times? Three times? Three times. Three mm-hmm. times. And um, describe what Manti, when we say Manti, Utah, talk about that pageant, what it is and what it looks like, oh, what Manti. you do while you're there. <laughs> I love Manti. Um, Manti is a once-a-year thing in the month of July, and um, or June, sorry, June, where uh hundreds of Christians come out and to share the gospel with the LDS people. So the Manti Miracle Pageant is just a show that is like a reenactment of Joseph Smith and 
um, him translating the, the gold plates and then stories within the Book of Mormon. And I would say about 20,000 Mormons come out a night. And this is a two-week event. Um, and all the Christians gather together. We have trainings in the morning um, at the church in Ephraim, Utah. And um, we have worship in front of the temple. Um, and then we kind of like scatter and share the gospel and then come together at a ice cream place Miller's um and just share stories um so that's that's Manti and Manti is a small city isn't it it is yes um but there the there is a temple right there and this is an outdoor pageant just the pictures that you see it's right at the foot of this Mm -hmm. temple so here is this very tall majestic building and then this is where this takes place yes um so during the when the pageant is on I guess the city swells by four or five times what it usually is so it's an important pageant to mormons Mm -hmm. and a good opportunity to share with mormons Uh, and so through this you've gotten to know many of the people that are great resources Uh, if a christian has a mormon friend um, there are resources available to help them share so many and uh, I wonder if you would mention a couple. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Um, so you have Bill McKeever and Eric Johnson, and they are uh, the president of MRM, uh, which is Mormon Research Ministry. The first book that I read when I first started talking to Mormons is Mormonism 101, which is a great source if you want to learn just the basic doctrines of Mormonism. Um, and then you have Lighthouse Ministries, who um, Sandra Tanner. Um, Sandra Tanner which is a very well-known name in Utah and within just Christian apologetics in general. Um, and she, she is a <coughs> uh, great-granddaughter, I believe, of she Brigham is. Young. Mm-hmm. Yes, and which her story is incredible. Um, and she's such a cute old lady. She's so sweet. <laughs> um, but she has excellent resources on her website and in her bookstore, um, and she sells them online as well. Um, she's written thousands of different um books that you can read um so those are just two also um the ministry that i do my internship with is trigrace ministries and chip thompson he has written a book called um uh, witnessing the mormons in love i believe and um that is an excellent resource on just basic doctrines and how to witness to the lds people so those are three those are three, and there are plenty more. James Walker mm-hmm. and Watchman Fellowship is another. Mm-hmm. There are quite a few resources to help. Mm-hmm. And I want to close with this question. I would like for you to talk to us about how God has called you and what your call is and how you're answering that call. <laughs> well, it's definitely Mormonism and what I said earlier of how, you know, why I love the LDS people. Um but my call is, is definitely the LDS people and just sharing the gospel. Um, and currently I'm doing an internship in Utah to learn more about Mormon ministry and what that looks like. Um, and to, to teach uh, Christians about Mormonism and why um, we need to continue to teach Christians about all these different um, religions that need Jesus. Um, so I guess that's answering my call to teach people. That is. And Mormons need our love. Thank they you, do. Catherine. We appreciate you sharing. Thanks. Hey, it's Gary and Joe here again. Would you do us a favor? 
If you like this podcast, go to iTunes and leave us a review. This would mean the world to us. Thanks.